so thankful for worship, just the opportunity to be in God's presence. And it seems like no matter what's going on in your day, if you come with the right attitude, God will meet us where we are and start to deal with us in a new way, in a new level. But a lot of that has to do with us. Anybody here um, ever worried about anything? Not pastor said I am. I see two, three hands. I saw one hand really high. How many, how many of you would say that uh, worry is an ongoing issue for you, a struggle for you? I appreciate you being honest about that. And, that, and it's hard to be honest. And I think worry can happen in different stages of life where there's things to be worried about and maybe circumstances that you're in that, that may maybe make you more worried or more of a worrier. I had an experience a few years ago where... Um, I have a good friend. He's a surgeon. We, we went to college together, and he, he's a vascular surgeon. And he, is, uh, he and his wife now are missionaries in Cameroon, Africa. And I'd wanted to go work with them and take a team to work with them for many years. So I really had been praying about it for years, and it was one of these situations where I, I really felt like God say, this is it. This is the time. And it was, you know, when you step out and say, yes, this is the time, and then you start to run the numbers, and it was going to be about $2,500 a piece. And the young people I was working with, they just didn't have that kind of money. That's a lot of money to raise. And then as it turned out, we were going to go uh, kind of in the summer. And I started having just incredible pain through my legs. Didn't know what it was. It's trouble, trouble standing for a long time. Turned out I had uh, lower lumbar stenosis. Anybody ever heard of that? Usually it happens when you're older. In fact, <laughs> I had to go to this seminar. And I was sitting there. And everybody in there was probably in their 60s or older. And everybody kept looking at me like, are you here for somebody? <laughs> me. And they were looking at me like, why? And uh, anyway, long story, I had to have back surgery. So we had to postpone that trip. And so we, we started raising money for that trip. We ended up doing it in, in December. And the money was just not coming in. And, and a trip like that, you've got to make commitments and put money ahead and buy plane tickets. And it was not coming in. And we were having to drop students because they didn't have the money. And that's just terrible. And I, I, I didn't intend to worry and I didn't even know I was consciously worrying. Ever, anybody ever been in a situation like that? And I was returning from a trip. I'd taken some students to ORU, and I was, I was on that trip, and I started feeling this burning sensation in the back of my head. I didn't know what it was. And I kept scratching at it, and, and one, of the, one of the guys was with me. I said, is there something on my head? And he looked at it, and he goes, we kind of got a red spot there. And then I was all embarrassed, you know, what I thought. I thought it was like, I thought it was like ringworm or something. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know what this is. And boy, you know, I went to church on Sunday. That was on a Saturday. Went to church Sunday, and it was burning so bad. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Anybody ever had this happen? Nobody? You? Okay. No, it wasn't hives. Wish it was hives. But I was so worried. Anyway, what happened was I, it was burning so bad. I literally left church and went to um, one of the minute clinics. And I walked into the lady. And by this time, I had a patch here, and I had a patch here, and a patch here. And uh, she goes, oh, my goodness, you need to go to the ER right now. That is shingles. And if you don't go right now, you're going, to be in, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And I don't know if anybody's ever had that. You know, and she said, by the way, it usually happens on your back where nobody can see it. Lucky you. It's, you shave your head and it's right here. And so uh, thankfully I got to the ER in time for them to give me some drugs to at least to curb and slow it down and heal quicker. But you know, I, sure, I looked like my head was you know, peeling and boiling and blistering for the next you know, weeks. And uh, when I was in there talking to the doctor, they said, um, something bothering you? And it was strange, you know, I'm, I'm looking at him like, well, this right now is bothering me. And they said, no, you know, and, and you know how when you're in a situation, you can tell they're, they're 
doing that thing to you. They're psychoanalyzing you. Anybody ever been in that situation with a professional and you realize, oh, wow, they're doing to me what I do to people. I'm that person now. And I'm sitting on the table and, uh, you know, real gentle. And he just said, um, is something upsetting you? Because um, normally this kind of thing at your age is probably due to high stress. Is there something going on that you need, you know, you'd like to talk to somebody about? <laughs> and, and I'm looking at him like, Wow. And I remember walking out of there thinking, what is going on? Why am I so upset? And I kept battling with this. Did God tell us to go? Is he going to come through? What's going to happen here? And, you know, to make that part of the story short, he did come through in a miraculous way. I think uh, I'll tell that story some other time. But, but he did go th- come through. It was an amazing trip. But I'm not prone to worry, typically. But in that situation, I realized that it was really consuming me. I was thinking about it. I was losing sleep. And I was worrying. And to be honest, I don't know that I could really relate to a worrier. Um, I'm married to a worry person who worries a lot. And, and there's a lot of times where I don't, I don't, I don't share the worry. And that, you know, that, that makes, it, makes her happier, you realize, right? So, um, but I could understand a little bit better, had a little bit of a picture. Let me share with you a quote. I, I love Winston Churchill. He had an ability to really cut through things. He said, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, but most of it never happened. And I have to be honest, I, I am very honest about the fact that worry, worry affects us differently. And if you tend to be more of a feeling-oriented person, probably worry is going to be more of an issue for you. And if you're more of a logic-based person, and I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, I'm not saying that at all because I think they're both normal and God created us both that way and there's great purposes in both of those personalities. But I think it can be very annoying to someone who struggles with worry to have someone standing up here like me who tends to be more logical and not struggle with worry a lot to preach to you about worry. I recognize that. But I'm still going to do it. But I want to acknowledge at least up front the fact that what I'm saying is, is difficult. And I, I seriously do not want to convey that, it's, that, that worry is um, necessarily sinful. I know I've had people say, well-meaning people, to people I love, they've said, if you trusted God, you wouldn't be worrying. Or they would say, you need to trust God more or you wouldn't worry. And, and while there's probably a, a, there's probably a nugget of truth in there, in that kind of a statement, I'm not, I'm not saying that here today. And I'm not trying to be... Uh, I don't want to be a person who's speaking to you as if someone who doesn't struggle with this and then tell you, you know, that this is your problem and, and make it all so simplistic. I don't want to oversimplify any of this because I think it's a very real issue. But I do think that there are some things that we can, as Christians, agree upon and ways to look at this. But in doing so, let me be honest, <clears throat> a lot of the things that you've probably heard about worry come from a logic point of view. And if it was a logical issue, then it, you wouldn't be worrying. Right? And if we could mathematically prove that there's no reason to worry, which I'm going to try to do tonight, I realize that's not going to cure it. Because it's not a logical issue. A lot of times it is an emotional issue. So even though I am going to talk about some of those things, I'm not so naive to think that that's going to be the answer for everybody. Fair enough? You see where I'm coming from? A little bit? But while we're at it, let's look at a couple more quotes because they're just funny. Oh, wait, let's look at her sad face too. She's very worried. Can you see it? Theo, my son, was in my office when I was putting this picture out, and he goes, what is she doing? I said, what does she look like? He goes, she looks like she's worried. I said, exactly. 
Worry is interest paid on trouble before it comes due. Another, you know, I know that's kind of obvious, but I I read a book recently, and and it's a phenomenal book, and I would recommend anything by Andy Andrews to you. Some some of us... uh, I don't know if you read books that, that are meant to help your personality or help you in business or help you with strategies in life, but, but he has written a number of books, and I like his style of writing because what he will do is he tells the whole thing in kind of a fable. Now, I don't always like that, but I, I like how he does it. And in this particular story, there's a, a very interesting character named Jones who's kind of through the whole story, and he's helping this, the, the guy who's the main character in the story by giving him little quips and little things about life. So at one point, he's talking to somebody about worry. So here's my mathematical, logical analysis about worry. And I love it because it's best put by this book. So he's telling the person, 40% of the things you worry about will never occur. Can we agree that that's true? Even, even the worriers? <laughs> my wife says no. <laughs> no, but seriously, 40%? I mean, that's a fair number. It's not over half. It's not, it's not even most. But about 40% of the things probably will not happen. And yet we worry about them. And again, I know this is a logical approach. I I acknowledge that. But I think sometimes that can help us even even so. 30% of the things you worry about are things that have already happened. Can we agree that that's probably accurate? And there are things floating around in our mind that already happened, yet they're just kind of lingering there. And you may wake up with those things on your mind, or maybe something somebody said, or or an experience, or maybe like we talked about a week ago or so, where you have an argument, and then you wish you would have said it this way. Because you had the great comeback later and it just didn't happen at the time. And all the worry in the world isn't going to do a thing to change what's already happened. Okay, so we got 40 and 30. Anybody good at math? Okay. 12% of all worries have to do with needless imaginings about our health. Oh, my leg hurts. Do I have cancer? Anybody remember? What was that one movie where... uh, Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember with the teacher and he said his head hurt and the kid said... Anybody remember what the kid said? I think you have a tumor. <laughs> so right away he said, it's not the tumor. Yeah. All right, my head hurts. Do I have a tumor? My daddy died of a heart attack when he was 60. I'm 59. So 12% needless imaginings about health. 82, thanks, Pastor. And then 10% would be pretty little nothing worries about what other people think. Did I say pretty? Petty. Petty. And I know those are important at a lot of times, and maybe at different times in our lives, those are more important. But truth is, a lot of times we worry about things that are out of our control like that. So if my math is right, that leaves about 8%, 8% for legitimate concerns. These legitimate concerns are things that can actually be dealt with. And most people spend so much time fearing the things that are never going to happen and can't be controlled that they have no energy to deal with the few things that can actually handle. Now, I know this is a logical approach. Again, I acknowledge that. But I think even sometimes using a logical approach, we can try to convince our heart of things. And we can try to repeat things back to our heart that might convince our heart, wait a minute, this is not one of those things I can control. Should I be really worrying about this? Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at um, some psychologists' solutions to worry. This is just one of many you know, solutions I found that a psychologist will recommend. They said, write down your worries and decide which worries are productive or unproductive. Which can you do something about? Pretty much what the author in the Andy Andrews book wrote. Once you've isolated your unproductive worries, it's time to identify what you need to accept in order to get over them. I thought a pastor there. Just get over it. 
repeat, I don't, I don't know if I believe this one because, but still. They said, repeat a feared thought over and over and it will become boring and go away. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not willing to try it because I just don't, I don't know, I don't think it's true. Uh, it's never as bad as you think, which again is a very logical approach that if you're worried, that's not going to help much. Cry out loud. And, and I've heard that does help a little bit. If you just cry about it, talk. And then the last one there, talk about it. Actually voice the concerns. I have heard somebody really wise say this, that a lot of times the solution becomes clear when you, when you clearly articulate the problem. So the more you can articulate the problem, and, and this particular psychologist didn't say this, but I've heard other psychologists say, another thing we need to do is separate our worries out into small pieces that we can actually deal with one at a time. And then put them in order. And if you go the Dave Ramsey route, put them in the order of the, the smallest and then work your way up as you gain momentum. You could do that. All logical approaches, right? Does that help any of the warriors? No, not one raised their hand. I, I'm not surprised, but not one raised their hand. So you see, this poor guy's worrying. And then I put this in because I thought it was funny. And again, it reminded me of pastor. When you're worried, can you read that little small print? <laughs> That's probably by design. Let me read it to you. It says, when you're worried, I'll tell you horror stories about how much worse it could be. <laughs> and then it says, quit whining, you big baby. You know, Jamie just had a baby. A big baby. A big baby. And tell me if this isn't true, Jamie, that the whole time you're pregnant, how many people came up to you and told, told you their worst pregnancy story? I mean, I don't know why people do that. You, can, I, you, know, you probably could top them. <laughs> she had a 10-pound baby. That's, that pretty much rules. But I've always wondered about that. I know when Nicole was pregnant with our children, I was always shocked. Here, I know my wife's a worrier, and yet every story they told had something to do with a horror that happened to a baby. You know, and, and horrible things. People, it's like they have no filter like they would come up and talk about a baby being born with a cord around his neck or, you know, preeclampsia or, I mean, all these things that are just horrendous. And you're looking, I'm like, could you shut up? Do you need to say that right now? And can't you see my wife's flushing or it's turning, you know, white as a ghost. And why do we do that? However, <laughs> let's do this. I know that, I know that this, the, uh, <laughs> I know my logical approach wasn't going to be that effective, but I still wanted to put it out there. So I'm going to wrinkle it up for you, okay? That's my logical approach here. Let's try this. Can we try scripture? Can we try that? And in doing that, let's take a look for a minute. This is Paul's letter to the Philippian church. This starts off in chapter 1, verse 1. I just wanted to get you an idea of of verse 1 there. Paul says, this is a letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Now, here's the thing about Paul. And this is just an effort to give you a little bit of context. And the more I thought about this, I thought, well, this is a little bit of a logical trick, to be honest with you. Could we be honest between the logic and the feelers? I am tricking you a little bit. I'm trying to throw the Bible out to you and say... If the Bible says so, you should listen to that, right? And here what I'm going to do now is, I'm just going to tell you what I'm trying to do. What I'm doing now is, I'm going to try to show you how Paul is a good person to listen to. He's worth listening to on this. And I don't know anything about his personality as far as being a feeler or a thinker. I don't know, or or the logical background. But let's take a look at this for a minute. I know this is kind of small print again. Can Can you see on this map here kind of in the middle, that, that light green there where it says Philippi. Can everybody see that? Just to the right of Macedonia. You see right there? 
Okay, see where Philippi is? Do you see that really dark line? That's called the Ignatian Way. The reason I'm telling you this is because Paul, historians and church historians tell us that Paul probably had one of the best relationships with this church. He visited this church uh, at least on two occasions that we know of. And this letter, this letter came and as he talked about this church, this is one of the few letters that he wrote that he didn't have any problems with the church to address, except for one minor one, which we'll talk about in a minute. This is also, uh, this, this was a very key city. Do you guys remember the story about how Paul had a vision about the Macedonian man who called to him? You remember that? And said, you're going to be bound and all took his belt. Remember all that? This is that church. Do you remember the story about Lydia, the one who was, was the seller of purple cloth? Do you remember her? This was that church. This is the story. Do you remember the story where Paul and Silas were preaching and then there was this slave girl who supposedly could tell the future by a demon? Remember? And Paul and Silas delivered her the demon and then her owners got really angry because that was their source of income. So they complained. So the Roman officials threw them in prison. Remember, anybody remember the rest of the story? Want to tell us? And then at midnight, oh no, they were beaten severely. And then at midnight, they're having a, a praise service. Remember? And there's an earthquake and all the doors are open. And then the jailer thinks that they've all escaped. And uh, in the process, Paul and Silas come out and say, don't, don't, because he was going to kill himself. Because usually if he lost the prisoners, he had to pay with his life. And he was just going to make it quick. Remember all this story? This is Philippi. And then because, because Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, it was actually illegal for them to be beaten without a trial like that. And so what they did is they demanded that the city officials escort them out of the jail to show that they were completely exonerated. And that gave the church credibility and that this church was able to prosper. And they ended up staying there even longer than they had planned. This is Philippi. Paul knew Philippi, but he did not know Philippi without problems. The reason I say that is because Paul, Paul didn't live a life that was free of problems. So you may be a person who says, well, it may be easy for you. You haven't had many things go wrong. Or Paul hasn't had many things to worry about. And that's why he's not a worrier. No, not Paul. Paul lived a tough life. Very tough life. And, and I, I show you this map just to show how key of a city it was and to kind of show you where Paul was. This Ignatian Way is, is actually a famous, there's, there's what's left of it, a part of what's left of it. You can see how those stones were enormous and built. It was actually a stone road all the way there from Rome all the way, you can see there, from Rome to Istanbul. Huge, huge road. That's the road, one of the roads at least, that Paul took and traveled upon when he was sharing Christ with all these churches. This letter's from Paul, a slave of Christ. Look how he greets the people in Philippi. God's holy people who belong to Christ, including the elders and deacons. What is that? I'm just kidding. Are there any deacons in here? I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. Here's that part I was talking about. Just a little problem. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. We don't really know what was happening there. All we know is that these ladies had worked with Paul closely And for whatever reason, they weren't getting along. And Paul, can you imagine? Wouldn't it be cool to have your name in the Bible? But not like this. It's funny to think about, they got their names in the Bible, but why did they get their names in the Bible for for whatever kind of quarrel they were having? We don't know really what it was about, but here's where Paul goes next. In verse number four, he says, 
I mean, verse number three, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Now we know Paul was praising God at midnight in jail, right? Now, I, mean, I, I don't mean to be just a little bit allegorical here, but how do you apply that to yourself? Thankfully, most of you have never been in jail, at least probably not very long, right? Do you think Paul was worried? What was his attitude there? I wonder. I wonder how it was because Paul didn't live this charmed life like I mentioned before. It wasn't so easy for him as we might think. We know that he was trained as a, as a Pharisee. We know he was trained as a Jewish student under one of the best teachers of his time. We know he persecuted the church. And then, then most of us are aware that he wrote, he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament, most of the books in the New Testament. He also started numerous churches. But look at what he went through. This comes out of, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, yeah, chapter 11. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's the beating Jesus received. Remember that, the 39 lashes? He got it five times. Imagine what his back looked like. Incredible. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. He was in danger. From false believers, I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Do you think you ever worried during those times? I'm not saying that worry is unreasonable because I think there's a lot of things in life that are worth worrying about. And, and I think in those things that, that it's appropriate to worry. But my question to you tonight, and, I, and I'm appealing, I guess, somewhat to your logic and somewhat to your feelings. Do you think that Paul had more reason to worry than us? Because when I look at his life, I think I'm, I'm amazed not only at what he accomplished, but the way he did it. Because he's the same guy who said, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And he had every right to say that. Because it wasn't like he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he, it's not as if he didn't have problems at every turn. His life was difficult. I, I think it would be even fair to say maybe more difficult than any of ours. That he went through more for the cause of Christ than most of us have gone through. So when he says this, I have to stop and say, and maybe even compare a little bit, what I'm worrying about to what he's worrying about. And it's not to say that what we worry about is not important, because I think it is. Now let's get to what he says about worry directly. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I think what Paul is doing here is giving us a formula for dealing with worry. That I, and I think it's a formula that would apply to anybody, whether, the, whether you struggle with worry or not. I think it's a formula that if we really apply it to our lives, and I think it's a formula that, that works for people old or younger, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is if, if it's something that we commit ourselves to and really, really take to heart and do. Now, when he says here, in everything by prayer and petition, 
I know those words seem like the same thing, and, and they really are in a sense, but petition means directly asking. I think there's a lot of things we worry about that we don't even ask God about. And there are things that float on the edge of our mind and we don't ask. Let me, let me just give you some quick handles on this. If there are things keeping you up at night, I guarantee you, if you start praying and asking God to deal with those things, I bet you get really sleepy. <laughs> Honestly, I, I wonder how many of those things do we go to him with? How many of those things do we really go to him with and then even let go of? Look what he says next. I love this verse. I love this verse because of the honesty and the transparency that's in this verse. It says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me, let's unpack this for just a minute. Peace of God is not, you know, sometimes we think of peace as the absence of war, the absence of conflict. That's not what this word means. When it talks about peace with God here, what it means is that you're in complete right relationship with the creator of the universe. When you're in right relationship with the creator of the universe, honestly, what else matters? What else can bother you? I think about this sometimes. We, don't, we have them occasionally here, but you hear about these things in Florida all the time called sinkholes. I should have put a picture on. You guys have seen those, haven't you? Where for whatever reason, the ground underneath gets washed out. Maybe it's an underground reservoir, a pipe breaks. And as the underneath of the ground breaks away, the, the, the surface can just fall on in. And it's spectacular sometimes how, you know, sometimes an entire street or a car or a house. I think of that sometimes in our own personal lives. Because if we don't have it right with God, if the very foundation of what's happening in our world is not correct, then it's no wonder that you're going to worry about everything on top because it's just going to crumble on down. But if the basis, the very basis, the very underneath, the thing that undergirds everything, if that relationship is right and good, honestly, what else? What else could shake you? I mean, obviously, there's things that would bother you and things that would come against you. But the ultimate thing that would be inside you that would hold you dear and hold you near is that peace that you have with him, that you are in complete right relationship with him. I love this next line. It transcends all understanding. You know why I like that? Because he's basically saying it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. He's saying that the peace he gives you will not make sense. You know why it won't make sense? Because when you look at the circumstances, the circumstances can still be there and just as bad, just as onerous, just as overwhelming as they were just a minute ago. But now because you've trusted God, he's going to give you peace. It's illogical. It's illogical peace. It's the kind of peace that other people would look at you and say, I don't know if they're all there. Because most people under the circumstances would be pulling their hair out. Or I hesitate to say that, but they may... They may be going crazy or maybe losing it. And they look at you and they think, why are they so calm? What is, what is it they have? And if they only knew it's because your relationship with the creator of the universe is so solid and so full and so big that nothing can shake you. It's like those, those three Hebrew children when they were thrown into the fire. What did they say? You think they were worried? I'm sure they were worried. But they knew who they served and they told Nebuchadnezzar, you do what you want. Whether we live or die, we're serving him no matter what. That's peace. That's peace of God. That's the peace of God so that, that everybody standing around them had to marvel at the calm that was inside them. And that calm isn't normal. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. And, and Paul acknowledges that, that that peace that God's going to give will not make sense to anybody else. Maybe not even to you. You could even be surprised by that. And this part I really love. 
because I think it deals with all of us, whether you you more logic-based or, or feeling-based. Because it says right here, he's going to guard your heart and your mind. This, this term, guarding your heart, it's actually, it's actually kind of a military term. It's, it's God himself will set himself on guard for you. Now, you have to let him do it. Because he's, he's not going to do something you're not going to let him do. So if you're going to push him out of the way and, and dwell in worry, he's going to let you do that at your, own, at your own peril. But he will. On the other hand, if you let him, he will guard your heart and your mind. Here's what I like about that. Because there are times when, when I may be worried and it's an emotional worry that I, it's overwhelming and I feel it. He will guard that. And the times where you can't turn your mind off and it's just rolling and you keep thinking the same thing over and over and over and those thoughts become something that is keeping you up and, and, and overcoming your day, he will guard those thoughts. Think about that. How could he do that? I'm sorry, but it doesn't make sense. And then he tells us to do this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's, a, there's a, a form of psychology called image replacement therapy. Has anybody ever heard of that? Yes? It's a very simple concept. Here's, here's why it works. If there's something that bothers you, worries you, scares you, offends you, whatever, and there's that thing, what they'll tell you to do is find a happy thought or a happy place or something that you could replace that thought with and put it in place of this other thought. And then every time that that, that scary thing happens, you're going to go to your happy place. So you're going to go to your happy place. You're going to think a good thought. And what you do is you literally replace, replace the bad thought with a good thought. Do you see how that works? They didn't invent that. Paul said to do that. Paul put it so plainly there. He said, brothers, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything, excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. Not the things that you were worrying about two verses before because you prayed about those things. He's guarding your heart and mind. He's giving you peace that doesn't make sense. And now he's saying, take whatever those thoughts were and replace them now with good things. Whatever those good things could be. And this, this next part, don't ever forget this. Because he goes on and even though he said finally in verse number eight there, it's not really final because verse nine says, whatever you have learned or received or heard in from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Here's what I like about that. It doesn't end just with, with thinking or feeling. He then says, put these things now into action. And what things is he talking about? You're talking about Philippians chapter four, the entire book. They, they call this the book of joy. Did you know that? Because Paul uses the word or a form of the word joy 16 times in this one book. That doesn't happen anywhere else in scripture. He does that because what he's talking about is a way to be full of joy. If you want to find out what he's talking about and how to be full of joy, look at the rest of this, this book. Anybody remember uh, Philippians 4.13? Three, four verses later. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That could be one of your, your replacement words. You could take that phrase, that verse, and put it right in place of this. Maybe you're worried about something that you can't accomplish. Some task that's looming in front of you that's impossible. And you can go to God and tell God, God, this thing. And then he will guard your heart and mind and give you peace. And then instead of you dwelling on that, instead you think of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. 
So many of these. It could be a verse. It could be anything like that. It could be a verse, something that you could put in there. Whatever it, whatever it needs to be, that's something that would work for you. Here's my question now tonight. These things sound familiar? This process? It's something that, that, it's something that I think we could work on if we just take it for a minute. And let's, let's, I'm going to rephrase it. And let's take it slow for just a second. The first thing, giving our worries to him. You know, I was wadding up these papers for more than just a reason. Neil, I'm going to give you these, okay? And I'm just going to pretend for a minute that Neil is God and I'm giving him my worries because this is usually how we do it. We say, all right, God, I've got these things and they really bother me. And then we go on and on and on. And then we say, here you are. And then we walk away. And we never leave them. We don't. And I know a lot of times it's unintentional. I know a lot of times when we do that, it's, it's because we feel like it's still our responsibility, and some things are. But the truth is, very seldom do we actually really leave them. We intend to do that, but then when we get right down to it, we may be kneeling, we may be whatever, and then as we get up, we, we pick our sorrows and our burdens and our struggles right back up, and we walk away with the same burden we came to him with. It'd be so different if we actually, I'll give you the trash now, <laughs> if we actually left it with him. I'm curious tonight, Nick, could I, could I have you come now as we talk about these things? I want you to think for a minute. What is worrying you? Or what are worries that come to you in the middle of the night? Maybe you're not worried about it now, but it's something that plagues you on a regular basis. What are those things? Is it a future thing? Is it accomplishment? Is it a dream that God has given you that you're just not sure how you're going to accomplish, but you're, you're focused on it and worried about it? Is it a job situation? Is it a child who may not be walking with Christ or maybe have a crisis in their life? What is the worry? And have you really given it to him? Have you really given it and released it to him? Look at the next step that Paul talked about. I love this thought. He gives you illogical peace. How badly do we need that? How badly do we want that? That kind of a confidence and peace and a, and a security in knowing that the God of the universe has got us and got it handled. And then what he promises us from there is that he will guard your heart and mind. There are times when I'm praying about something and I will literally ask him, God, please guard my mind. I need that right now. I need you to shut this off and I need to sleep. Or I just need you to shut this off and I need to trust you. You know what I love about him too? It's not as if he stands up there and, 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 and puts you know, puts the the high jump bar so high that he knows you're going to fail. That's not our God. What he does is he wants to help us to to be at this peace. If you're struggling with this, it's very appropriate for you, just, just like the father who spoke to Jesus about healing his child, and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Tell him, God, I need you to guard my heart, my mind. I need it. I'm struggling with this, God. Help me guard it, please. Give me that peace. The next step he talks about is, then you replace your worried thoughts with good thoughts. What are, what are good thoughts for you? Is it a good memory? Is it a verse like we mentioned a minute ago, a verse that, that is very meaningful for you or a verse that gives you hope and peace? Maybe for you it's a thought that, that, that you know that God is for you and not against you. Maybe it's that Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's, maybe it's at John 10, 10. 
It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. I don't know, but what is it for you? Let's think about it for a minute. I want you to actually choose one right now. Choose a thought, choose a, choose a phrase, choose a place. Choose something that you're gonna replace those worried thoughts with. And that last step I think is so important. Get to action about the things of God. I did, I did uh, read one psychologist who has said this, which I think is so powerful, that a lot of times people get so hung up in their own problems that they forget that they could be the answer to other people's problems. And then in the very act of serving others, their own problems start to melt away. Isn't that true? Think about it for a minute. Sometimes, sometimes we can be so self-focused that the only thing that we see is what's looming in front of us, which is us. And then as we look outward and just meet the needs of other people and serve them, our problems just diminish and become just not so important anymore. I want you to shut your eyes for a minute. Pastor Nick is going to lead us in some worship. What I'd encourage you to do is this. In fact, let's all stand for just a few minutes. What I encourage you to do is in these next 10, 15 minutes, let's have a real conversation with God where we talk to him about these worries. Whatever worries they are, whether they're the 15 or 12% legitimate ones or whatever. And if you need help deciding, talk to him about that and help him figure that out. But for the next few minutes, give him the worries. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard both your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Tonight, maybe you need to also commit to him that you are going to do something. Maybe it's volunteer with, with the, uh, the upcoming um, VBS for kids. Maybe it's volunteering in another part of the church or helping someone that you know is in need. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and then the God of peace will be with you. Let's talk to him for a few minutes.